The Bendy Show guests on This Week in Innovation with Jeff Roster. It's longer than our usual podcast. Full details in the show notes. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Innovation. Today's podcast is a recording of a recent clubhouse room I did with Wendy Schlensky, principal, owner, and AR maven at Canopy Communications, and Beth Torrey, owner of Torrey Communications. We discussed the five pieces of advice every founder needs to know about AR. We had a wide-reaching conversation about the art and science of analyst relations. Beth and Wendy explain why each of the five below points are so important. Number one, analyst relations is really expensive. Number two, you need to know what your AR goals are. Number three, analyst relations is slow. Four, timing is important. And five, it's your job to properly educate the analysts about your company, your products, your vision, and your differentiators. And for the record, I happen to agree with all these points. Give it a, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Five Pieces of Advice Founders Need to Know About Analysts. And I have two, two professionals here to talk about that, Beth and Wendy. Thanks for uh, stopping by. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm, I can't wait to get into this conversation. So why don't we, why don't we get started by uh, just giving us an overview of what, what each of you, you do and, and how you have the experience to work with analysts. Sure. I'll go first. Hi, I'm Wendy Schlensky and I've been running analyst relations for companies for the last 17 years. I mainly have worked with outsourcing firms and am recently started my own company to help people advise people on analyst relations. I like to say I'm doing it on a fractional basis. So companies that don't need a full-time analyst relations professional that typically sometimes will be startups. I am currently working with a few different companies. One is a bootstrapped startup and and one is a Series F startup, so a wide variety. Though, like I said, I'm pretty new at this, so it's 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 newly going. Hi, my name is Beth Tory, and I've been doing analyst relations for over 20 years now. I started in 1999. I love working with startups. I also work with some larger enterprise folks. I've built some programs from inception to startup which is my, my favorite part of the AR world is watching it go from a cool vendor to a seven-time leader in a magic quadrant. I started my own consulting company about two and a half years ago, and I help a wide variety of clients and VCs figure out how to align uh, their differentiators and get them noticed by analysts and get feedback into their products and roadmaps about what the analysts are seeing. And I'm delighted to be here today. Beth, so your focus is is analyst relations as a practice. How many firms are out there that, that focus on AR versus PR? It, it's not a tremendous number. I would say less than 20. Yeah. Lots of PR agencies will have an AR arm. It is a little bit of a, a dark art, so to speak. There's not a lot of people that know how to do it well, and there's there's a lot of kind of misunderstood things that are going on, which is why we have calls like this or discussions like this. There's a big difference between PR and AR. PR is probably much better understood because it's speaking to the media eloquently. But AR is a long process. It's more about relationships, and it's more of a, a long-term, deeper relationship where analysts really want to 
dive in and know about the product. So there's not a lot of people that do it well. And I think that is why there's not a lot of companies that do it. And it's probably newer too. It's all based off of mostly off of initially Gartner. And then now all these smaller independent firms are, are just as important for, for some spaces. So yeah, there's not a ton. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. The, uh, the relationship thing just keeps popping up again and again. And I, I, I know it intuitively, but it is it, it, it shows up with the press. It showed up in the, the PR call we just had. Unpack that a little bit. What, what does that mean for a founder? Do, they, do you think they really understand how all of us work? No, I would say most founders don't. But when they do, it's super exciting. It's, I had one CEO that I work with. It was the former CEO of Fatwire which is now the Oracle web experience platform. He used to call working with his Gartner analysts, working, go, going to meet the priest. Like these were very intense conversations. They were deep. You would bear your soul. You would talk about financial. You would talk about roadmap. You would talk about the vision of the space and how your company can navigate different than all the competitors. So media just don't go that deep. They, they don't have the bandwidth or typically the technical knowledge and depth to go that deep. They have to move on to the next story. They think short term, they think in news cycles. Analysts have long-term memories, right? Like you can go back with some of these folks 20 years and they know you, they know your products, they know where you come from, they know how to trust you. Are you gonna be responsive? And that's, that is the vendor's job is to be responsive and to give the analysts what they need when they need it. Yeah, I, I, I... Absolutely endorse what you just said. The The amount of silliness that I used to have to deal with was just almost un, unexcusable. Having to restart a relationship every time some new person came into an organization was crazy. And so if you have those relationships, it just makes it go so much faster. Do you, Beth, do you specialize in verticals or do you, uh, technologies or how do you dig into your client base? So I have, I always have one customer experience company. I try not to have competitors at the same time. Some firms do that. I don't because I tend to go very deep into product. So right now I'm working with a really cool startup called Uniform, which is a multi-tenant microservices digital experience platform. It has no competitors. It is a nascent, but digital experience is definitely where I like take off. I like get really excited about it. I know the space. I've been in it since its inception. But then I, I also just like work with startups too. And it really depends on the, a culture match for me. I have a, a very different kind of personality than I think a lot of consultants do. And some founders thrive on it. They want that energy. They want the passion. They want the pushback. And some just want you to set up interactions. And that's not where I'm, I'm at. I, I really want to create something beautiful and help the company show its leadership. I think that's a, so important for founders to understand how to communicate. I continually bump into founders when we, it's almost become a joke now. What space do you, do you sit in? Uh, who are you talking to? They just don't, they don't have that sense. So boy, any help you can provide them in, in helping them understand the layouts and, and the, the dark science. I think that's a great term. It is uh, the dark arts. It really is the unspoken area. But boy, if you can get them going, it, you're going to save them an awful lot of time. What are the five biggest, five biggest things founders need to know about AR? So I'm going to start and I will say the 
first one is that analyst relations is really expensive. And I'm going to guess that is why <laughs> founders don't want to <laughs> go there quickly. Research contracts can be very expensive. They don't have to be, but off the cuff for a startup, it's a chunk of change. Also, the headcount is expensive. I'm not a I'm not a cheap laborer. Getting someone who really knows what they're doing is a is another significant line item. It's also executive hours. So crafting the story, you can't put onto an intern, right? This takes C-level attention. It takes your best demo guy or demo person. It takes your top subject matter experts, which also removes them from sales, which is where you want them. So from a founder perspective, it's really tough to take all your best people and put them on to this one briefing or this one wave and give all your best resources away for free, not knowing you're going to get anything in return. The waves and MQs can take hundreds and hundreds of hours. If you're going to do it right, it should take that much time. And that's a hard thing for a founder to give up. And I kind of respect that. But if you know it going in, it's, it is, analyst relations can be expensive. So that's rule number one. I'd say rule number two is you need to know what your AR goals are. And I, they've got to start with your company goals. So what are what is your company really trying to do? And then what are the what are your AR goals? So what's your value proposition? Why you? What is your unique differentiator? Why do you want to engage with analysts? And what do you want them to help you figure out? How do you want how do clients buy your product or solutions? What are your goals? I think that's really the second most important thing. Like why are you doing this? Why do you want to do analyst relations? Beth, on to you for number three. The third one, I'm, I'm the voice of doom and gloom today, but analyst relations is slow. <laughs> so <laughs> I think as a founder, you want to get in there and get a result, right? We're all results oriented. We all have OKRs. And, and analyst relations is a slow moving machine. To gain the trust of an analyst takes time. So working with Gartner and Forrester takes a lot of time. Gartner takes I just submitted a briefing request. It took them three weeks to respond to the briefing request. So that's a hard thing, knowing that you're going to take time. I think it's an incredibly valuable way to spend time, but knowing that you're not going to get a result in a quarter is a hard thing for a lot of people to stomach in this day and age. We lack patience now. So knowing ahead that this is going to take up some time and give yourself a year or an 18-month uh, goal, you'll have a you'll have a much better taste. At- I think number the fourth most important thing is timing is important. Knowing when to start and knowing when to increase your investment. So knowing when to buy the research contracts, knowing when to hire somebody, either someone like Beth or I, or someone full time, or any of the alternatives in the middle. But also knowing who is your target market and which which firms really talk to your target market. So are you really focused on the enterprise? Are you focused on a small, medium SMB market? Where you want to make sure that whoever your target is, that they're actually reading that analyst research and that those analysts are talking to them. Understanding the budget and the time, what Beth was talking about, and understanding where the pain is coming from in terms of increasing your investment. So is it is it that you want analyst coverage? Do you want to build awareness? Do you want guidance on your product? Understanding that helps you determine when to hire somebody or 
when when to hire someone from a fractional perspective, a full-time perspective, a consultant, et cetera. Wendy, that is such an important point. Just having knowing how to handle the contract and knowing how to engage, I don't think there's I don't think I probably had a, a single client that would ever use me the way I would use me if I was on the other side of the, the fence. I, I get it's a huge time investment. But it's also a very expensive contract. And so if you're not going to use it, why buy it? If you bought it, figure out how to use it correctly. That's, I don't think people really understand that. Point. I agree. I think that's where having a consultant, and even if you have somebody full-time doing analyst relations, I think sometimes having a consultant help you strategize. Because a lot of times when you have somebody full-time in-house, they're so in the weeds and what's going on that it's helpful to have an objective third party who's less invested to provide some guidance and some understanding and some just different ideas. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Is that so that's what you that's how you see your your new gig advising, dropping in and helping uh, clients figure out contracts and set up strategies. That's part of it. Interesting. I'm doing different things for all of my clients. So one of my clients, I'm actually teaching them best practices in analyst relations. One of them is a startup. I'm doing full service execution. And the third, I am a temporary fill gap between them not having anyone in the role and them hiring. So that once the person comes into the role, they'll be like ready to go. And I'm doing all like the dirty work of getting like the entries all the different data that they've had into our Insights Architect program, which is a custom CRM product for analyst relations professionals. So that's those are my few clients right now. And but yeah, I really I could see myself as a really good asset to someone who has an AR program and looking for guidance in terms of what else should we be thinking of. Yeah, that's really interesting. Almost like doing an audit. Here's what you're paying for. Here's how you've used it. And what's the delta? And I guarantee you 100% of the time, there's going to be a big delta between what somebody is paying for and what they're using. Yeah, that's what I expect as well. Interesting. I've seen that. For sure. Analyst firms hope there's that delta. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. If everyone used, that's true. You know, as as I've said, if everyone used me the way I would use me, if I was on the other side, a firm would go bankrupt. You have unlimited inquiry, which means you should be, you don't want to be calling every day, but you should be, you know, you should be utilizing that. And if not, then there's a problem. The challenge is also the scheduling, like your schedule. And like Beth mentioned, the, the time commitment for the executives is also really important. But we've got one more best practice or one more thing that we think founders really need to know. Beth, do you want to uh, take that one? Oh, this is good. And this is your motivation. This is, it's your job to properly educate the analysts about your company, your products, your vision, your differentiators. So I think what, what, one thing that irks analysts and it irks me, it's you didn't write about my company in the right way. (laughs) You have to look back and really know that you didn't communicate what's going on properly in your company. If the analyst doesn't have the right perceptions, you need to own that because analysts look for facts. They look for customer references. They look for the how the ecosystem is using your technology or your products, your solutions, your services. 
And that is all reflected in one giant perception. You're influencing about 30% of that, but really it's your job to own that, to put the right customer references in front of that analyst, to put the right partner references in front of that analyst, to be telling your story, why you're winning deals, why you're losing deals, why you choose to focus on a certain market. That's your job. And really good analysts are going to be asking those questions and, and you just got to be armed and ready to go and to do it, of course, within 30 minutes. That's the game. That, that is the game, um, game set match for sure. How ready do you think your founders are to receive that message? Cause I'm guessing, I don't know. You tell me. So when you present that to a founder, what do they say? So most founders I think are a little, as most founders are like a little egocentric, which is good. You need to be bold. You need to lead. They say we got it, but when you break it down, they don't have it. And I think really some generic preparation is important and it's not talking to an investor. And I think that's the big difference is a lot of founders get used to doing their VC talk track and it's a very different audience. Analysts care a lot more about your customer, what's going on with your customer base. How are you acquiring customers? What, how are they using the technology? Are they using some of the features, all of the features? How does this, what's the impact of this on the whole market ecosystem? I think it's a very different kind of conversation. Once they get the outline of what they need to answer, they're usually great. But it's, they just didn't know what to say until they say it. I think the, the biggest gap I see is not sharing enough information about what's going on with sales. And I think what's going on in the field is really important to analysts. And the founders like know it, and they just, for some reason, don't always talk about it. But why you can beat a competitor is a really important data point. Who you're beating, the region, the vertical, all that information, like being able to succinctly share that is just critical. And I think saying that on a monthly basis to the top influencers is going to put you in more of those deals in the right deals that are good for your, for the market, for the analyst, the analyst end users, because that's what they want. They want to guide customers and prospects and users to the right types of vendors, the ones that are going to actually help them solve projects, problems. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think I heard you say something about monthly. So the question I always used to get is how often should I brief you? What's your, if a founder asks you, how often do you want to brief an analyst? What's your, what's your go-to? It's like, how often do you have something good to, t- to say? <laughs> yeah, that's Do you have something to say? <laughs> you would better, be the you first bring thing. Value. If you're going to have a briefing, <laughs> don't have a briefing for a briefing sake, but bring some value, bring something really interesting. I think inquiry is where the real relationship is developed. And that's, and for, if you're paying for a Gartner seat, I say get on the phone for every four to six weeks with your analyst. And you should be talking about what's going on in the field. And you should be talking about what's going on with your competitors. You should be talking about the trend and the technologies you want to, to discuss. You should be talking about what do customers want that you're not delivering? What could you be doing to move the needle? How are you using digital to give a better customer experience? But for, for a cadence, um, if you're paying for a Gartner seat, you should be using the Gartner seat and you should be talking to your top guys, top, excuse me, top folks at least every four to six weeks. Yeah, that's a pretty aggressive uh, cadence. I can think of about probably 10, 15 clients and they were the big ones that would say, OK, here's our here's our cadence. We're going to brief you. It started off bi yearly, then towards the migrating to quarterly and then the four to six weeks. And guess what, Beth? 
zero times did they ever hit that four to six week cadence. And that's fine. It's it's whatever the client expects. But boy, that's you hit the nail on the head. If you want to build a relationship, the only way to do that is is by communicating. And the way to the best way to communicate is not a vendor briefing. The best way is an inquiry if, if the analyst firm has that set up, because then it's a two way conversation. And then you build into a briefing. The, uh, the big mistake I've seen founders make, and I'm hearing it even now that I'm basically just talking to them, is not building a relationship, then have something to announce, and then have nowhere to go. Yeah, I think there's a lot of black holes, right? That's a that's the kind of the kiss of death, right? We You gave us a briefing, you had to increase, and then we never heard from you again. And it's, that's just wasted money. So I would say, going back to our tips and tricks, if you're going to do this, you really got to do it on a consistent basis. And as a founder, you can own it, right? If you're less than 200 employees, this should be one of your top six initiatives. This is something that the board, if you're spending this kind of money on a research sheet, the board is going to be asking you about it. What are you getting from this? And you should say, we had these three conversations these are the three recommendations that analysts gave to us. And really holding your analysts accountable is okay. Saying to them, hey, what do you really think we should be doing right now? Most of the time they're going to say, honestly, do better marketing. Like marketing is not easy in this in, in technology. And a lot of times the marketing isn't very good. And, and they might say invest in marketing. They might say give you suggested partners. They might say your roadmap's really missing this piece, but they have just this overall picture of your company that you don't have. So ask, what do you think we should be doing? They might not think you want to hear it, but they will tell you it's not always you're perfect and we don't want you to do anything because I've never heard an analyst say that. And sometimes that's what we want to hear, but that's not their job. Their job is continuous improvement and really doing better for the end users and going at it with that mentality, I think. is Yeah. So that's a really interesting point. It's hard to criticize and it's a psychology of the game. It's hard to criticize something you help build. And I've always been surprised at how few vendors really and, and founders for sure take advantage of that. So in other words, if I, if somebody would come to me and bring their strategy plan, whatever, and then we do a SAS day in Gartner speak, that's where you spend a full day or, or, or a long inquiry or whatever. It becomes harder to criticize something you, you gave input in. And so if I'm a founder, that's exactly what I'd be doing. Every single inquiry, I'd say, so what else should we, what do you think? Or what else should we be doing? And boy, I, I never really heard that a whole lot other than SAS days where, where specifically you're paying for that's a really insightful observation. One, one other add-on I'll say to that is always circle back, right? Like my list of action items is ask the analyst, what should we do? And then evaluate it. Don't just write it in an email and let it go to the black hole. Talk about it. If it's a product recommendation, put it to product. Why are we doing it? We're not doing it. Because even in not doing it, sharing that why you're not doing it is really important. And I just had this happen with another client and they're like, oh, we're not doing it that way because we're looking at edge computing to solve that problem. And the analyst was like, oh, my God, that's so interesting. Tell me how edge computing is going to solve that problem. And it was just totally took the conversation in this whole new route. And it got the analyst thinking really differently about the company and about how this process was going to be solved better with edge computing. I mean, it's just these little things really are what helps that trusted relationship get built. Yeah, that's really an important point. Also, no, no good analyst doesn't want to hear a different way of thinking of something. And 
I've always thought that the vendor community, and, and it's probably heresy to say this, but I always thought the vendor community had a, has a better understanding of how a market's evolving because one, they're building the technology and two, they're trying to sell it and they're selling it to many hundreds uh, of, of end users as opposed to an end user that has a, a much smaller worldview and folks that just don't ask hundreds of vendors what's how this market is evolving just miss analysts they just miss such good insights so yeah i highly encourage founders to to think that and if you get into a conversation to have it be a two-way thing for sure and then ask and receive and engage most good analysts really value that so good stuff on the uh, the five the five things every analyst should or every founder should know now what are some of the mistakes that you see Wendy, you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Sure, I'll go first. I think the first one is one I saw recently, which is, okay, we've got we've we've won an analyst over. They're on our side. <laughs> they're going to they're going to refer us in deals. They're going to talk about us. Let's find our next one. No, you, yes, let's find our next one. But you also have to keep picturing the one you've got because if you it, again, it's that whole okay, we've got one. We don't have to talk to talk to them for a year. It's, nope. You got to talk to them. You got to continue to engage every, like Beth said, every four to six weeks if you want them to remember who you are. Once you win somebody over, you can't just stop. That's what I say is probably my number one hot mistake right now. Beth, that's a good one. I think having having this attitude of pay for play is the most common mistake I see across the board. And if we just gave Gartner eighty thousand dollars for this research. I guess we're a leader in the MQ now, like, but it just does not happen that way. And, and it really like, it is a very hard way to, to start a relationship. It's, a, it's not true. And it's, it's, it's just not, it's not a classy thing to say. And analysts don't make a tremendous amount of money and they have a lot of intellectual pride. And I think it's well-deserved. And I think it's important to go that route and to, to not talk about this research sheet is going to give you a leadership position. It just doesn't work that way. And thinking that way from the beginning is, is just not a good place to, to start. Knowing that you're paying for a research sheet means you're paying for a research sheet. How you use that research sheet and how you work with the analysts is up to you. And Gartner specifically makes it incredibly difficult <laughs> to connect with these analysts on a regular basis and use the right language and, and do all this. They're not there. They're there to sell more stuff. And they actually make more money by increasing lag times. So having a proponent, your lobbyist, so to speak, as your AR person or your AR consultant, making sure you keep these cons conversations consistent. It's like going up against a big tidal wall and, and it's hard but if you really are a leader, it's your job to prove it. It has very little to do with how much money you spend. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. I, I used to bump into that all the time, pay to yeah, play. My, my favorite also is $80,000 isn't that much money to Gartner either. Both points are unfortunately true. 80 grand, at least in, in the old days, was not a big contract. And that pay to play thing, boy, to never tell an analyst about pay to play because it's just so frustrating. It just 
shuts all the conversation down. My experience now, I'm, I've been out of it now for a couple of years, but my experience is I really never, ever saw that. I honestly, I, I know people are screaming and say, no, that's not true. I've just never saw it. I just did not see it. There's a lot of safeguards in it in the process to make sure that's not the case. Now, if somebody's a big contract, do they have more exposure to the analysts? Yes, because they're paying for it, you know. But if you literally have something to offer, you you hopefully the analyst firm has a as a way of engaging. I'm curious, how much do you folks use social media and engagement with analysts on social? Is that is that is there any value to doing that? I think there's a tremendous amount of value. I think that the analyst brands, their personal brands are important. I think the the firm brands are important. And promoting them and their research is also the job of the AR person. Now, I don't think you should do it willy-nilly of every post and <laughs> reshare every tweet, but doing it thoughtfully and and if you're very crafty, you can connect your business value of your product with what the analyst is saying. This takes some time and you have to be a client because you have to have that to shoot to use an analyst firm's research in social. You should be a client. I think that's part of the deal. But doing it thoughtfully is important and it's promoting them and your client at the same time. And I think it's really some vendors are just good at this and it, and it just oozes out. And then the analyst might even retweet that, right? Like uh, it, it depends the, of the caliber of your content. But I think it's important. I think social is, you know, clearly we're on this clubhouse. Like I believe in social. I was on Twitter um, uh, pretty early. I, I believe in it. I love it. Like I thrive on it. And analysts hate it. They're not on it. They don't care. Great. Some analysts love it. And if they do, help, help them build their personal brands. They may be an independent later on in life and they you end up friends with them and, and continue. Continually, these relationships go on for a long time. And some of my closest friends are, are analysts now because we've helped each other's careers. But we do it with a certain level of intellect and with curiosity and not just like liking and promoting. Don't just don't, don't be a bot about it. I think doing it in, an, in, in a nice way is important. Yeah, I'd agree with that, too. What what platforms do you use? So Twitter, I heard, I assume LinkedIn. How, yeah, how many do you do you engage with analysts on? So I'm a little bit of a Twitter-aholic, and, and I, like, I love LinkedIn, so I'm, I, do as, I do what I can. I, those are the only two platforms I use. And then Wendy and I just discovered Clubhouse uh, this year and have been having a good time working with it. I don't see analysts on Clubhouse. I also think they don't want to give away everything for free, which is the, there's a careful line there, which I totally respect about owning your IP. And, and I think they're also hesitant about how to do this, right? Like I think Gartner was very slow to, to get into Twitter, a lot of the folks anyway, and LinkedIn, but they're getting there now. And I even see some MBOs with these forced posts from resharing a colleague's stuff that's like from a different department because you're like, you didn't tweet your LinkedIn, your, your stuff. So I think they're getting it a little slower. Some Forrester analysts were just, it was just natural for them, especially folks that cover social, like they just love it and they want to be part of the community and build a community and help people. I think it's more of a personality thing. What about you, Wendy? So I, I predominantly use LinkedIn. I use Twitter. I'm a casual Twitter user. I'm trying to get more into it. And you probably, both of you are probably going to slap me for this one, but like, I, I actually have connected with a bunch of my analysts on Facebook. I remember the first time I did it, it was mainly to literally get in touch with somebody who was traveling in India. And the only way I could reach them was through Facebook Messenger at the time, you know, way before 
all kinds of other ways to meet them. But so, yeah, so somehow I'm now friends with a bunch of my analysts on Facebook. And I just kind of, I remember Charlene Lee saying to me, Wendy, you have one, you're one person, you have one profile and you let everybody know what like who you are and what you do. And I actually had one of my really fun analysts in, in New York City to say to me recently when I, I sent out my like, hi, I've left, I left my former firm and I started, I hung out my own shingle. And she said, I love seeing your posts on Instagram. Like I love seeing what you're doing. And when I get back from my travels in the end of the summer, let's get together and do something fun. So, you know, it, it's about the whole person. And it's about building a relationship and figuring figuring that out. I've spent weekends, off times with analysts. I, I do live in New York City, so people come here and I play tour guide and, and take them out and do lots of touristy things with them. So figuring out what people like to do and then doing them. Again, you've got to, it has to be authentic and it has to make sense for you. So if you're not already on Facebook, I wouldn't join Facebook to be friends with your analysts. Uh, you've got to do it organically and it has to be part of who you are. And honestly, I'm not on Facebook that much, but when I see my analysts on Facebook, I get really happy in hearing about their lives and seeing them and it's a way to stay connected. But it's more that's more on the relationship part than on the like work part, I think. But LinkedIn mostly for work and a little bit of Twitter and Clubhouse. Yeah. If anybody has any questions, go ahead and raise your hands. I've got a couple more uh, questions and then we'll uh, to, to Q&A. I agree with that. LinkedIn for sure. Twitter. So Beth and I both agree on Twitter. There's value for sure. But boy, boy there's an awful lot of spam too. So you got to be a little bit careful. Facebook is interesting. I have work people that are connected on Facebook and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have to think about that. I'm you know, not that I share anything. I, I'm done arguing about just about anything. So my Facebook is pretty clean. But boy, five or six years ago, people were hot and bothered about about everything. And probably like you folks, I, I lost a, a couple of relationships getting into pushing matches, which is silly. Um, de- definitely done with that. So what do you think about social audio? Obviously, you guys are here on the platform. You have a really interesting room that I enjoy thoroughly. How big do you think this thing can be? Is this something brands need to be wary of or worry, worried about or endorse? I, I love it. I One, I'm a high-maintenance person, so I kind of love not having to do my hair and my makeup to <laughs> do another webinar. I also like to walk while I talk. I'm able to pace and have a conversation, which you can't do on video. I think it's important for brands to be where their customers are. So the more about your customers, you need to, as a marketer, it's your job to figure out where what channels they're on and where they're listening to. And I, I don't know a lot of people on Clubhouse but the folks I do know are founders and VCs and, and just people who I think who are, who are leaders who love to talk about what they do. And so these are also people I like to talk to and listen to. I've listened to a wide variety of rooms with, I'm very interested in DEI initiatives and ESG. And I've learned a lot about ESG from clubhouse experts. So I think it really depends like where are your clients? Where are your prospects? Be where they are. If they're at a clubhouse, 
figure out Clubhouse. If they're in an Insta, you better figure out Insta. Yeah. But I think it's social audio is cool though. I'm excited to talk to you about it. I think our, I didn't really know you before Clubhouse. And now I feel like I, I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about stuff and hear who you're talking to. And I get learn so much about retail from you. So I think it's another way to connect. And, and that's important. I also like this notion that you're putting into effect, which is recording it. And because I really like on demand, I'm a mom, I work all the time and I go for a lot of walks. So when I'm walking, I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to things that are on demand that I might not really want to sit and listen to at my desk, but I like to listen to while I walk. And I know a lot of people that like to listen to things while they walk because we're all trying to be healthier and do these walking meetings and stuff. But I, but I like things that are digitally on demand and yeah. So social audio thumbs up. What about um, you, Wendy? I'd, I'd have to agree with you. I walk and listen to podcasts all the time. I've like, it's, and I like short podcasts. I typically walk for about 30 minutes or so, but I'd like to be able to listen to two or three podcasts in that time, as opposed to Tim Ferriss. He's two and a half hours. I'm never walking for two and a half hours, but you know, I have to break him up a little bit. The clubhouse I think is really interesting. I haven't gotten into the clubhouse wannabes, like the I know Twitter has one and I think LinkedIn is doing something and I think Facebook is doing something. So there's a lot of other competitors, but I haven't quite broached those yet. I've also heard of something called audiograms, which are like short snippets of people like leaving a quick social message, sometimes with a video, sometimes without. I've heard videos are really great way to help win sales, like to create a little video about a topic. Again, I think you have to be authentic and you can't, you can't have too much marketing messaging. Like I think of Jeff and your big highlighter or your big Sharpie, like taking out all the marketing messaging and editing it down to the actual facts. But yeah, I think I also agree with you too, Beth, in terms of where is your audience? If your analysts are on the social platforms, the social audio platforms, definitely flock to them. If your audience is not on them, then you probably don't need to know them as much. But also, it's not just, it's whoever your target audience is. Right now, we're talking about analysts, but maybe it's also, where's the press? Where are your clients? Where are your prospects? So wherever those are, that's really what you want to, what you want to go after. And just another quick tip, in similar in a similar vein, people always ask me like, which analyst should I target? I'm like, which analysts are your prospects reading? Yeah. Which analysts are your prospects paying attention to? And if you can get into a good cadence with your sales teams to get your sales teams to ask your, your prospects, who are you talking to? Who are you engaging with? Which publications are you reading? So that you're getting straight from your prospect's mouth who they're actually using as influencing them, that will go a long way. And then take that information back to your AR consultant, your AR professional, your marketer, your PR people, connect the dots for them so that it's not a guessing game all the time. I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. Follow the trail. Winnie, that's uh, just a hugely important point. I, I who, 
analyst firms, I, we got in this whole thing of like how many downloads and all that sort of stuff. But And I just wonder if who the actual end users are talking to. And that's a really important point. Very important point. So it, when I look at social audio, I'm, obviously, I'm a big, huge fan of Clubhouse. But I also, as you, as Beth, you pointed out, I record the rooms because who in the heck has who has time in the middle of the day to hang out? And it's just a really cool platform. I'm just using this basically as like a live audience for, for recording a, a podcast. I'm not as big a fan on Twitter spaces. Although if you look at some of the announcements, uh, the NFL just made a big deal with spaces. They're going to do some rooms. Brands are. Makes sense because there's a large audience. And then I don't know if you guys have, have fooled with this yet, but there's a new startup called Call-In, C-A-L-I-N, which is live audio or live podcasting. So it's set up for podcasters to do a, do a show. It's recorded in the program so you don't have to do a roadcaster pro like I'm doing here. And it's pretty interesting. Still, like, it's super early in beta. I think there's 500 of us running around on the platform. But um, social audio is definitely not going away. But I do like the idea of recording social audio, which is probably why a lot of analysts are a little bit nervous about this platform. Because every time a working analyst takes the stage, you take your career in your hands. And uh, hopefully you don't say anything dumb where, where there's just a lot of places you can get into trouble when you're working with live audio. So one last chance for questions. If not, I don't know, what's the most important thing, Beth, Wendy, that you can leave uh, my founders with? What should they think about when they think about analyst relations? The last point you want to hammer home. I would say own it. If you're a founder, own it. Find one or two analysts that are important to your prospects and figure out how to own those relationships. Whether you use an AR person or you do it yourself, it's going to be important to how you grow a technology company. And so just do it and trust your instincts and trust what you can say. You have NDAs with these people if you have a research contract. So take it on and put it on your whiteboard and start. And I promise the more honest you are with them and share with them, the better your relationship will be and they will figure out a way to help you grow your company. I'm going to, that's a really good question, Jeff, of, you know, what do I want to leave people with? And I'm going to piggyback off of Beth, which is don't be scared. Like people get, uh, I've heard that founders get really scared and different people get very scared about talking to analysts. Like they hold this magic key and if I make a mistake, I'm really screwed and what happens? But they want you to succeed. No ma- Even if they're like gruff and angry on the other end of the phone and they're, you know, telling you your, your baby's ugly, they really, they're only doing that because they want you to be, they want you to be successful. So the more you can be vulnerable, open yourself up, show them what you're doing. I also think as an AR professional, you have to be a little bit cautious because at the end of the day, you're, you want them to promote you, but you don't want to, you want to talk about things in a realistic, professional way that's going to help you get to where you need to go. And don't be scared is my my last words. And and always ask them, ask them for assistance. So like at the end of the call with the analysts, always ask them, like, like we said at the beginning, what do you think we should be doing? Or who else do you think we should be speaking with at your company? That those two points are perfect. That's absolutely the biggest mistake I, I think I've seen over what 20 years of doing this is founders, executives either being well 
two mistakes, either being too aggressive, way too aggressive. I want to fight. I just want to get in. I, I just want to fight or being too way too passive. The best in my mind, the best strategy is give and take back and forth. What do you think? Here's how we're seeing this and engage the analyst in and engage the mind. So the analyst knows when they're, you're coming back again. So going forward, I got to think about every time I'm reading a piece of research or looking for something, what's going to say when they come back to me in, in a month and a half. And boy, that's just, that's so perfect. I, I think that's the point we'll leave it at right there. Beth, when do you, how, how can people get a hold of you if they want to, want to learn more about what you're doing? I'm on LinkedIn, working mom, and I'm on Twitter, Beth Torrey, B-E-T-H-T-O-R-I-E. I am on LinkedIn. You can find my LinkedIn address on Clubhouse. And you can also, Wendy Schlensky, W-E-N-D-Y-S-H-L-E-N-S-K-Y. So LinkedIn, Wendy Schlensky. Fanta- Thanks. Fantastic. Thanks for, for coming by. I, just great insights. And I think we'll, with that, we'll, we'll close out the room. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks, Wendy. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. You bet. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at iterate.ai. Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.